Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Hey, welcome to, uh, welcome to part two of our series called What Makes You Happy. Real quickly, how many of you were not here last week? Raise your hand. You were not here last week? Okay, here's what I need from you. Go to uh, nbchurch.tv and you can go watch online or we have a YouTube channel. So I think if you just go to YouTube and type in New Beginnings Church, you can find us there and we have a YouTube page. And so... I don't know, you can podcast it too. Or whatever, whatever your deal is, you go get it. I think you're going to need to listen to week one because definitely today builds off of week two. But, but, but just for kicks and giggles, let me make sure that the people that were here, let's see, this, how many of you were here last week? Okay, let's see how good you guys are. Let's, let's ask this question. This is the original question we started with last week. What makes you happy? Does anybody have an answer? Man. Y'all are good. I didn't expect, I, I thought like my mom would yell or something, but not everybody. That was incredible. You guys are really smart or you pay attention or something. So everybody say no thing. No so what makes you happy? No yeah, nothing makes you happy. You ever notice that? Nothing makes you happy. What we learned is, is that actually we can say it like this, is that happiness is more connected to a who than a what. Because if you could just go buy your happy what, we would all be at the happy store right now. And we would all just be a happy what, right? So, but we don't, right? We're constantly searching for happiness. And we are really all on a happy quest. And that's not necessarily a bad thing to be on a happy quest. The bad thing is, is when you're on a happy quest and you don't know what makes you happy. And if you're out there today and you're constantly searching for something to make you happy, um, indicator, you don't actually know what makes you happy. Or if you did, you would have found it already and you would have lasting sustaining happiness. And so again, it's not built into a thing. It's actually connected more to a who. And what we learned is, is that God actually wants you to be happy. Now I know that that doesn't sound very religious like, right? Because depending on what church you grew up in, I know a lot of religious people that are not happy. You ever met grumpy religious people? And it's amazing because the people that are so close to Jesus, you would assume should be and ought to be the happiest people in the world. But sometimes there's a disconnect between we look at God and we think that we have to. Did you ever feel like this? If you grew up in church, maybe you felt like this. You felt like at some point in time, maybe as a teenager or as a young adult or whatever, you're like, okay, I get to choose God or happiness, but they can't go together. And you felt that way. And so you left church. Because you were on a happy quest, right? And what you realized was is that you, as you went on a happy quest, you kept trying a lot of things and doing a lot of things and searching for things, none of which made you actually happy. And so we learned, again, it's more connected to a who than a what. And the who is the most important thing because what we learned is this is God wants you to be in good relationship. He wants you to be, or we can say it like this, God wants you to be at peace with him. God wants you to be at peace with others. And we know this to be true that happy people are at peace with others, right? And we know that happy people are at peace with themselves. And because they got the who's down, they are now discovering what actual happiness looks like. But let's go back to that religious thing. Okay. Cause there's a lot of religious people that are not happy. I'm going to give you a hint. All right. You ready? This is the truth right here. They was unhappy before they met Jesus. They're just unhappy people. And their unhappiness has nothing to do with Jesus. As a matter of fact, you can tell that if, you, if you're not happy and you're really a grumpy religious person, if, you're, if your favorite song is, if you're happy and you know it, repent or, or whatever, then, then you, you, you missed it, right? That's, that's not it. Because you, you, there was an old saying in, in churches is that, uh, you know, like God doesn't want you happy. He wants you. Nope. Nobody grew up with that one. God doesn't want you happy. He wants you holy, right? 
And we had this disconnect. We thought holiness, which is really just being like God, holiness and happiness cannot be connected. But that's not true. And I'll show you that today because Jesus, in his very first big public sermon, it's the most famous sermon in the world. Okay, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. In his very first sermon, he opens with his very first topic, and his very first topic is how to be happy. Isn't that crazy? You didn't think that. You thought God wanted you to be miserable. Maybe he would punish you to teach you a lesson. But actually, Jesus begins his very first incredible sermon with a poem, in essence, on how to be happy. Now, he uses a word. Everybody say blessed. Blessed. Now, we don't use that word, but this is the word they would have used, or blessed, right? Blessed or blessed, depending on how you say it. And it really just means fortunate or happy. Now, we call this the Beatitudes. If you, if you ever saw this before, the Beatitudes, anybody heard that term before? I just thought it was like a capital B with a bunch of attitudes. Like if I had all these, because it says, okay, forget. Okay, it's, it's not that. It's actually just Latin. The, the, the Beatus of Latin, it means happy. Right? So the be attitudes is the be, the be happy. Okay, let's move on. So Jesus starts with this idea of let me teach you how to be happy. You're on a happy quest. And God gave you the capacity for happiness. And he, because he designed you, actually knows what will make you happy. Now, what he does in his sermon is this. Is he starts giving eight things that happy people embody. It's not really a to-do list. And it's not like eight different people, right? It's really one person embodying eight different ideas or attitudes that they have. And because of this, they'll be happy. As a matter of fact, in the Hebrew, this is the way they thought of it. They had two words for blessed, right? One word literally meant blessed because somebody gave you something. Can I get an amen? That's awesome. If somebody hooks you up, birthday, Christmas, free tickets to the game, you're what? You're like, oh man, what a blessing, right? That just means you got the hookup. The other kind of blessing was, is that you're blessed or you're happy because of what you've done. Does that make sense? This is the one Jesus is referring to in this sermon. Not, not just you got a gift. It's not like if you'll do these things, God's going to give you a gift. It's deeper than that. It's if you do these things, happiness starts to flow your way. And so anyway, let's, let's read because it's incredible. Again, famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Read along with me. It says this. It says, Jesus saw... Everybody say the crowds. Now, what this means is this. Jesus had a bunch of different people that followed him, right? So he had, remember the 12 disciples? That was a big deal. Then he had like a bunch of other disciples, like literally hundreds at times, right? And these were people that said, hey, I'm with Jesus. I'm following. I'm just not in that super, super cool inner 12 group or whatever. And then there were the crowds. And the crowds were masses of people that followed him for different times or whatever. And sometimes thousands of people were following him in this crowd. And so the reason why I'm telling you this is because this, what he's about to say is, everybody say for the crowd. It's for the crowd. It's for you. As my life, like this. You could be here today and you don't even know if you believe in God. And I'm going to tell you this is for you. Because you, this was for everybody. And if you, even if you didn't believe in God, if you went and did these things, you'd be a happier person. So anyway, he says, so Jesus was all the crowds. He went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, and this is the very first thing that he decides to introduce as, here's how you be happy. Now, let me show you else what you're going to see here. A couple of things. Number one is this, is a lot of the things he's going to tell you are counterintuitive. Meaning like the world would say this, but actually I'm going to tell you it's, it's a little bit different. Okay? So be careful. Be, and here's the other thing I want you to do. 
I'm going to give you eight things. That's a lot for your brain to handle unless you're a good note taker or whatever. Just slow down with me for a quick second. God will use one or two and kind of shine the light on your heart and maybe do something or speak to you. But what I really want you to do is pay for what is, or pay attention to what is the common denominator to all eight. Ready? So this is what he says. Verse number three, Jesus begins, just so you know, Jesus never said verse number three. There were no verses. He just talked. And so anyway, so Jesus began to talk. Blessed or blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what he does off the bat is, is he annihilates this idea of um, rich people and, and riches make you happy, right? He annihilates that. He goes, hey, rich, rich makes happy because we feel like that, especially if you're poor. If you're broke, rich means happy in your mind, but it's just because you don't have rich and rich people know that rich doesn't make you happy. And, and here's the other thing that it teaches too. Poor doesn't make you happy either. He didn't say poor makes you happy. That's not what it says. It says pour in spirit. And what he was saying was this, and if you're, if you're taking notes, this will be good to use because this is a tricky one to understand. But to be poor in spirit is to embrace your daily dependence on God regardless of what you have. Meaning if you're rich, you wake up every morning recognizing, you know what, God, without you, I'm nothing. And if you're dead broke, you probably already do that. You wake up and you say, God, without you, I'm nothing. Because if you don't provide today, I won't have anything. I'm telling you that whether you're rich or poor or whether you're just dead in the middle... There is a daily dependence that you have. As a matter of fact, he even taught this in the Lord's Prayer. Do you remember this? Remember our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name again. He has a part in there where he goes, give us this day our... Y'all are so smart. Like the smartest church in Livermore, I bet it. So give us this day our daily bread. Literally, God, today, this day, I'm completely dependent upon you for my provision. And anybody who wakes up and is completely self dependent that's an unhappy life it's hard waking up with the stress and the burden of having to provide everything in this life because here's what we know you can't control outcomes anyway can you you have no idea the market dropped a thousand points yesterday or last week didn't it drop like 700 and then another 300 i mean then it jumped back up five you know you can't control outcomes you have no idea. You can't control the housing market or the job market or the interest rates. You can't control your 401k. You can't control any of those things. And so when life is completely on your shoulders and you are fully responsible, sometimes you know what you feel responsible for is keeping up with other people. You're like, man, I got to keep up with. I got to look the part, dress the part, drive the part, have all these things. Man, that's stressful. That wears you out. And when it's all on you, you're an unhappy person because you can't control those outcomes anyway. Because if you, put, if you put all of your hope into your riches, the problem is, is that what happens when riches aren't there? Then you have an identity crisis. You are hopeless. So what you, what you got to do is this, is you never put hope in riches. You put your hope in the God who richly provides all things. And when your life, when you wake up every day and say, God, hey, I thank you that my life is in your hands. I thank you that you're in control, God, that you're doing, you're doing something in me and through me and that you're my provider at the end of this day. You wake up at peace and you wake up because of that happy. So let's, let's keep going here because this, this is the first one. The second one he says, he goes, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Now there's a couple in here and this is one of them that like, Todd, this looks like the opposite of happiness. If I'm happy, I'm not mourning. And we're not talking about good morning. We're talking about like grief. Do you know what this tells you? This is, this is a huge relief. Here, 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 again, think through. 
What this means is I don't have to feel happy all the time to actually be happy. Because sometimes in life I need to mourn. As a matter of fact, mourning is one of the healthiest things that you can do. Because to the, to, the opposite of mourning is to say, well, I'll just suppress those feelings. I'll just shove them down deep. To, to not mourn is to be afraid of death. But you know what happy people are? Happy people are so at peace with God that when they think about death, they're not afraid. Why? Because they made peace with God. They made peace with others. They're even at peace with themselves. And then, Because if you've ever been to a funeral, it's kind of creepy sometimes. Can I get a, a yeah, yeah? How many of you are the type of people that when the funeral's going on, you don't show up early? Show up right on time, maybe a little bit late. You sit in the back. Casket's open. I ain't going up in there. It's, it can be awkward. As a matter of fact, as a culture, we are more disconnected from death than we used to be. We used to be closer to it. Now we're further away from it. You know what part of that is? Is we're afraid of death now. We're scared. There's something. But I'm telling you that happy people aren't afraid of death. They've recognized their own mortality. They recognize that, hey, look, God gives. God takes away. Sometimes bad things happen that I can't explain. But I know my life is in his hands. And so when bad things come, I will grieve. And God will comfort me. It's just, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive. So keep going because this is what he says next. He goes, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Everybody say meek. All the dads out there, when your first son was born, all of you prayed, God, make him meek. No, of course not. You're like, that's, I want my kid to be strong. I want my kid to be tough. I want my, and normally we look at meekness as weakness. But that is not at all what Jesus meant. As a matter of fact, this is what really meekness is. Meekness is strength under control. Ladies, you know, all right, dial in, ladies. You ever been at the party and you saw the dude that had to put it on, that had to be something that he wasn't, that had to flex, that had to show out, that had to be the center of attention, that had to win? And you're like, sheesh, this guy's wearing me out. He's wearing himself out. He's not happy. It's hard work trying to keep everybody impressed all the time. What meekness is, is meekness is strength under control. Because here's, here's what I know about some of you. Some of you are like me. And you have to win at all costs. Like, I just got to win. I got to win. It gets exhausting trying to win at all costs. And you wear out people around you, therefore making bad relationships. And, 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 if your happiness is attached to you being the man and you being the woman and you winning, guess what happens when you lose, which is inevitable? You're not happy anymore. And so, but when you make it all about you and you have to win at all costs, you, you live this roller coaster. Sometimes you're happy, sometimes you're not. Other, other of you, you're a little bit different. Some of you are control freaks. And you got to have everything just so. And you're so particular and you're kind of uptight and you need everything just so. And so because it's all about you and you getting your way, as soon as you don't get your way, you are unhappy. Or some of you, some of you, some of you are the life of the party. I mean, some of you are fun and outgoing and you're funny and you're awesome and whatever. And you feel like I need to be the center of attention. Everybody look at me. And you're like, listen, listen, that gets old. Doesn't that get tiring? And then it gets old. And then what happens is, is what happens when you're not? The center of attention. See, you're, you're unhappy. See, what meek people recognize is, is that their strength does not come from always getting their way or always being the center of attention or always winning even. It comes from an inner strength. It comes from my relationship with God. And what that allows me to do is, is take a deep breath and say, you know what? I don't have to win. It's all good. 
I might even need to let somebody else win sometime just to get over myself. You know what? For, for you uptight people, listen, listen, you know what it is? There's an inner strength in you that takes a deep breath and says, you know what? I didn't get my way, but it's all good. I don't need to get my way all the time. Maybe I should bless other people and let them have a chance and let them get their way. Maybe I need to let some stuff go. For those of you who need to be the center of attention all the time, you, I'm telling you, what, what are you saying? You know what? It's all good. Hey, let me celebrate other people and lift them up. I don't understand. There's an inner strength. We call that meekness. It means there's something on the inside of you that says, hey, da, 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 da. I don't have to get angry and wild out. I don't have to be that way. I don't have to. I have this thing called meekness. And so there's something interesting about meekness because it puts you again at peace with yourself. Let's keep going here because that was good. Number, number four is this. Blessed are those, and this sounds weird. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Now that, that again, righteous sounds like a, a churchy word. To be righteous means to, to do the right thing in essence or to be righteous before God or to, to live righteously means to live doing the right thing as God says the right thing is. Does that make sense? And so there, let, let's be honest. Let's put it like this. There's, there's something about doing the right thing and it creates happiness because happy people are happy because they have no guilt, no regret and a clear conscience. Or we can just put it like this. Have you ever known to do the right thing and you totally didn't and you blew it? And what did you live with? And you felt bad. You're disappointed in yourself. There's this inner turmoil. You're wrestling with yourself. Why? Because you knew what the right thing was and you didn't do it. And the opposite is true. We know this to be true. Whenever you do the right thing, don't you have an inner satisfaction where you're kind of proud of yourself? Not in a haughty way, but you're like, proud of myself. I, I did it. I, I made a promise to myself and I kept it. I made a promise to somebody else and I kept it. I knew what the right thing was and I was so tempted because here, here's the deal. Doing the right thing requires this incredible strength to do what is right simply because it is right regardless if it's unpopular, regardless if it costs me something. It's just I'm going to do the right thing and we know that there's this sense of like man I'm, I'm proud of myself and you build it's like a momentum. You build on that as you continue to do the right thing simply because it's the right thing. You build that strength to keep it up and yet the opposite is true you, you ever know this about a bad habit it's almost like once you break it once you're like well, who cares if i break it again <laughs> and the third time's a charm i mean and then it's like oh screw it who cares you know see at some point you just give up you quit or whatever why because i'm just telling you and then you live with regret you think about all the decisions that you've made that created regret it was a decision where you knew what the right thing to do was and you didn't do it. And it created that inner conflict and that inner turmoil. And you lost your peace and you lost your happiness. And so, th- and this, this again, Jesus uses these words like, hey, you will hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then you'll be satisfied if you do it. So he said there's something to that. Number, number five is this. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Here, here's, here's what that means if you're taking notes. Really, I think we could say it like this. Happy are the relationally generous. Because mercy is when you don't give what people deserve. Like sometimes they deserve getting the business, right? Sometimes they deserve a, a, a dirty email. They get yelled at. They, they deserve being treated poorly. They deserve the, uh, the cold shoulder. They deserve not being forgiven, but again, mercy is when you don't give people what they do deserve. And you see, what, what, what Jesus was saying is this, is you'll be happy if you become relationally generous. You'll be happy if you extend patience to people. You'll be happy if you extend, unfor- or if you extend forgiveness to people. As a matter of fact, I was talking to a young lady this past week, and she was asking me, how do you 
how do you forgive people? And she was so, she was so brilliant because she would say, how do you forgive people? Because I just know I don't want to become a bitter person. And we talked about this. You, you, you ever seen like a, an old bitter man or an old bitter woman? I say old on purpose because usually it takes a time, right? It is, sometimes you'll find a young person that bitterness is treated. But here's what bitterness is. It's when you harbor unforgiveness and ill will towards people. You're not merciful. And you hold on to that thing. And it becomes cancerous. It literally sticks into your system and it eventually invades and takes over part of your personality. You ever met a bitter, bitter person and said, man, they're so happy. It's amazing how happy they are hating other people. We don't say that, do we? Why? Because it's a, bitterness is something evil. It's something that corrodes us. It's something that, that literally steals our happiness. And so anyway, there's... Now, all right, next one, next one. Now, next, this one may be the hardest to get your head wrapped around, but this is what Jesus said. It is brilliant here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to be really countercultural here. I'm going to challenge you to think about the way you live, challenge you to the way you think, what you watch, what you listen to, how you make decisions. I want you to see what he says here. He goes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What I'm going to show you is this, is that having a pure life, or we can just say like this, purity brings clarity. Have you ever asked yourself this question like, God, I want to see you and I want to know you? Purity brings that. Have you ever thought, God, I really want to be able to know your will for my life and know, you ever wanted to know, God, what do I do next and what decision do I make for my life? What, you know, you ever wanted that clarity of thought and that clarity of purpose, that clarity of mind? Where does that come from? That comes from purity. Because there, here's what you need to know too. Have you ever, because think about the opposite. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why was, why was I so blind? How did I miss that? Why couldn't I see that? Why? That seemed to be clear to everybody else. How was I so confused? How did I make such a terrible decision? Because again, you, you don't have to experiment with everything to see clearly, right? Like you, you don't have to go try every drug in the world to see if that's good or bad, right? You, you, you don't have to treat your sexual purity in such a way to say, I'm going to try everything and experiment everything to get clarity. You, you don't have to do that. Because my observation is this, is that people that live with the utmost of moral and ethical purity, they seem to see clearer than everybody else. It's the opposite. We don't have to try everything in the world to see whether it's good or bad. Jesus said, if you really want to see God, you really want to see clearly in life, there's something about purity that drives that. Here's, here's another one. Blessed are the peacemakers. This is, this is number seven if you're taking notes. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Everybody say peacemakers. Not the gun. Isn't that funny? I don't know how that works. So anyway, there's this idea of being a peacemaker, again, puts you at peace with other people. And it's not, you need to be really, really careful when I say peacemaker because what I'm saying is this. I'm not saying being a peaser. I'm not saying roll over and be a doormat. I'm not saying be an avoider. It's, it, this is a verb. This is, like a, this is like a proactive thing. This is the take initiative thing. This is you saying, hey, there's a problem between me and a friend, me and a coworker, me and a neighbor, and I'm actually going to go out of my way to try and create peace. And again, in so doing, I'm going to be at peace with others. And even if they don't want to make peace, I'll at least be at peace with myself. Because again, l- l- let's look at the opposite. Have you ever noticed that some people in life are drama queens? 
Like always stirring it up. Always in the center of crazy. Like a drama king. Always, always stirring up. Always, they're not happy. Why? Because they're always in conflict with other people. Nobody ever says like, hey, blessed are the troublemakers. Because they're really happy. No, 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 those peacemakers. Is there something about being at peace and avoiding the drama and avoiding the crazy and avoiding the conflict that puts you at peace with other people? Last one is this, or not last one, is it? Well, I didn't put this on the screen, but just for you note takers that'll go OCD if I don't put this up there, put this on the screen, happy are the reconcilers. Because I know you knew that I had a scripture and a thought for every one. There was like three of you that have high C, OCD type. And you knew I didn't put a point up yet. I got your back. Delano did this to me the other day. I was in a sermon and I said, the best part of waking up. And then I just moved on. And he's like, folders in your cup. You got to finish it. OCD. Okay. So last one is this. Now again, I told you there was a couple that were really almost seemed to be the opposite of happiness, but look what he says here. Last one. Blessed are those who are persecuted. That sounds the opposite of happy. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says something again. It's kind of counterintuitive. Here's what he's really saying. I think I have to put this like this. You're going to suffer in this life for doing the right thing or for doing the wrong thing. You can be happy on one side of that equation, but not the other. Isn't that true? Anybody that's lived any length of time period knows this. The sun shines on the just and the unjust. The rain comes on the just and the unjust. Sometimes there are things in life that we can't explain. There are some things that are seemingly random. There are some things we will never understand in this life, but hopefully Jesus will give us answers in the life to come. And so what we recognize is that suffering is a component of humanity. We might as well embrace it. That goes back to the idea of mourning, right? And what he's saying is this, if you're going to suffer in this life, you know what happy people do? They at least suffer for doing the right thing. Because then you can put your head on your pillow at night and you can be at peace with yourself. But when you suffer for doing the wrong thing, that's painful. When you know that you did the wrong thing and because of that you're suffering, you tear yourself up inside. You're at torment on the inside. You're at conflict with yourself. And so Jesus, again, has these eight ideas. These eight actions or attitudes. These things that happy people do. Again, it's not eight different people. It's one person embodying eight different actions or attitudes. So I asked you earlier, like, what is the common denominator? The common denominator to all these things are they're not what's that you can go by, and they're not instant either. See, here's the point I would try to make, and it's this it's that happiness is powered by the law of the harvest. You don't go and just pop a happy pill or drink happy juice. You can't go read a book and then bam, be happy. You can never listen to any one of my sermons and be like, I got it. I remember it was October. It was 2018. I listened to that sermon. Happy ever since. No, no, no. It doesn't doesn't work like that. I'd give out happy pills if I could. Apparently some doctors do. But again, that's not real happiness. Happiness is powered by the law of the harvest. Or we can say it like this. You reap and sow your way to happiness. So what you do is, is again, it's not instant. Think about the law of the harvest. No farmer goes and puts a seed in the ground, comes back an hour later and says, look at my crop. What does a farmer do? He plants a seed. 
and another seed and another seed and another seed. And then he makes sure that he takes out all the weeds and then he waters it and he makes sure it gets sunlight and then he gives it a lot of time. And then what he does is eventually over time, he brings in a harvest. Your harvest is happiness, but I'm telling you that it's not instant. This is not microwave. This is farming. This is sowing and reaping. Or we could just say it like this, is that happiness is the outcome of specific attitudes and actions. So again, it's not, it's not a thing that you can go buy, and it's not instant. It's slow. You will never wake up one day and be like, you know what, I, just, I don't even know how I did it. I'm just happy now. No, no, no. You start today. And you live your entire life trying to sow these seeds. You try to live a life where you say this, I'm going to be poor in spirit and wake up every morning and acknowledge that my my life is completely dependent upon God. I'm going to wake up every morning. I'm going to be emotionally connected with people. I'm going to be empathetic to people. I'm going to be aware. When it's time to grieve, I'm going to grieve. I'm not going to be afraid of death. Here's another one. I'm going to be humble. Notice that two of the, the first three things he said had absolutely everything to do with humility. Arrogant people are never happy. You can never need life to be all about you and be happy. It's an impossibility. And so he goes, no, no, no. They're humble. They're meek. You got to say, happy people wake up every day and say, I'm going to choose to do. Now, listen to me. Are you going to have perfect days every day? Of course not. But you pick yourself back up and you keep sowing those seeds. And you, you wake up and say, I'm going to do the right thing today. Whether it's unpopular or not. Whether it even creates a, sac- a setback or a sacrifice. I'm just going to do what's right. And it'll eventually, again, I'll sow those seeds. I'm going to be a peacemaker today. And not everybody's going to like me. But I'm going to be a peacemaker. And in doing so, I will be happy. Now, watch this and I'll close here. So Jesus begins this incredible sermon with a poem, in essence, on happiness. How happy is the person if they embody these eight ideas, right? Now, listen to what he does. At the very end of the sermon, it's a long sermon. It's like three chapters long. It is completely brilliant. But I'm going to bookend this thing. He begins with a story or a poem about happiness. And then at the very end, he finishes with like this tiny little parable he sticks into the end of the sermon. Are you ready? And if you grew up in church, you maybe have heard this before. It goes like this. I'll just read a portion of it. It says that he refers to his sermon. He goes, every person who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house. Everybody say house. He built his house on the rock. I don't know about you. This. You don't build a house in a day. Again, it's like harvest. It takes time. You lay a foundation. You got to go through all these different steps, all these different layers. It is not instant. Happiness is not instant. Happiness will never be a quick fix. If you look for a quick fix of happiness, you will probably find something that will rob you of your happiness. He said it's more like building a house. It's more like sowing seed in a field and waiting on harvest. He goes, so... so, Every person who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. You know what this means? You can sit up in church, and we know this is true. Because there's unhappy religious people. You can sit up in church and hear the words of Jesus every single week and be completely and utterly unhappy. He goes, happiness has nothing to do with hearing me talk. Thousands of people heard Jesus talk. The question that he poses is this, will you put it to practice? He said, there, it will do you of no good to just hear this stuff. It'll, you know what? You can say, Todd, that was really good. Or Todd, that was insightful. Or Jesus, that was profound. Or Jesus, that was really good. If you don't go put it to practice, it won't really matter. And so he goes, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine 
and does not put them into practice is like what? It's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now, the fascinating thing about both people is both people heard the sermon. Isn't that crazy? We typically think about like churchgoers and not churchgoers, Christians and unchristians. He goes, none of that has nothing to do with it. It is about doers or just listeners. That's the gap. That's the difference. And he goes on to tell this parable. He goes, so, hey, eventually there are storms in life. Whether you're good or bad, whether you're righteous or unrighteous, whether you obeyed or disobeyed, there will be storms in life. But the person who didn't just hear it but put it to practice actually lived this stuff out. They built their house on a rock. And in doing so, they built a firm foundation so that when the storms came, they endured. And Jesus said they didn't just endure, they were happy. Let's pray this morning. Here is what I know about you. You want to be happy, okay? Here, here's what I know about me as your pastor. I really want you to be happy. I promise happy church members are way more fun than grumpy religious people. I want, I want you to be happy. Here's what I know about God. God dearly loves you and wants you to be happy. There is not a disconnect between following Jesus. Do I have to choose following Jesus or choose my own happiness? I would dare to say that if you really examined your life, if you kept choosing what you thought was happiness, you probably ended up empty and searching for more. And I'm not talking about going to church and just listening all the time. I'm talking about actually following Jesus into this whole new world where you think differently, you live differently, you embody something different. What you're doing is is you're embodying the nature and the character of God. And in doing so, you find happiness. So, Lord, I pray for these people. Lord God, may their hearts be open to you. May their minds be open to you. God, would you speak to them and help them, God? If, if there was something in here today, God, that they knew was off, when, when they thought about those eight different things, if there was one or two that just they knew that they would miss the boat on, God, would you please help them, strengthen them, guide them, walk with them, Lord? God, would we all, above all else, maybe, God, would we look to you and realize we are completely dependent upon you? God, would you give us hope? Would you give us salvation? God, would you come and save us? Lord, that is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Yeah, can you give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.